0: What is up everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rania Asani Show. In this episode, I talk to Dean Salikas, the chief party dude at the Party People, which is an Australian market leader for party supplies and costumes. You might have seen Dean or the Party People on the Shark Tank Show and numerous other media outlets. The man is a PR machine, but more importantly, an e-commerce expert and an entrepreneur with strong track record. We sit down and talk about his story, how he helped grow the business, and we share many insights that you can take on board as an entrepreneur or business leader. What is up, everyone? This is Ronnie, your host of the Ronnie Asanyu Show. My number one goal in this show is to bring you some of the most amazing and accomplished individuals in the business world to share with you some real, raw, and authentic business insights. We sit down and talk in a casual setting, nothing too serious, yet we unpack some of the most incredible ideas, concepts, and and best practices so please sit back relax and enjoy the show oh and don't forget to share the link. like share and subscribe gracias amigos all right we are live dean thank you so much for making it here man i appreciate your time thanks for having and, me and uh, it's such a pleasure to uh, sit down and talk to you great to be here thank you um so i want to kick off with uh the world's coolest title job title <laughs> that you have <laughs> chief party dude yeah when i went on linkedin and i checked it out i was like oh that's that's pretty cool man everyone is serious about their um titles yeah and yours is like i'm the chief party dude <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to have a serious title in the beginning i was so pumped about being a ceo and yeah then i stopped stopped Then I stopped taking it seriously all of a sudden so
0: yeah i mean i think depending on the organization obviously uh some 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 organizations you're gonna have like you know obviously the the official titles and all that stuff but in startup in the startup world or you know in a, in a business like you know the party people you guys don't take yourself well you take your business seriously but you don't take yourselves seriously by virtue of being in an environment that you know is is all cool and fun right yeah, so yeah. Y- it wouldn't make sense if like you know if if you're Party supplies or a party business, and then it's all serious titles.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're you know we, we're a business that likes to have fun, like I'm, yeah. I'm sure a lot of lot, lot do. So yeah, we um the title actually came up with, um it just came up in you know, random conversation we're having in the office, and it kind of stuck one day. And my graphic designer was um teasing me a little bit and did like an Indian with a headrest and yeah. had a chief party guy. Uh, out of like an animated version of myself and that kind of then stuck from there yeah um but then it became quite deliberate because it was obviously very much aligned with our brand who Mm. i wanted to be as part of the brand Um, and i started this journey of personal branding as well Mm. at the time Um, so it just sort of fell into place really nicely
0: and we'll go through the journey of your personal brand and the brand of the company as well i perhaps we can just go a little bit into what The party people does, um, I'm sure most people with the crazy, tremendous PR that you guys have done over the last God knows how many years. Um, But if we can go through what you guys do and focus on and maybe a bit about the story and how it started. You were telling me when we first talked last time how it started. So I think it would be cool if we kind of through that
1: yeah yeah no definitely i don't know where to start There was a lot of <laughs> questions in there and i could probably talk all day on all of it i guess yeah. um i'll try to keep it short but yeah i mean the business started with my mum who was a clown uh 30 years ago yeah and you know she loved she just loved helping people have parties that's what yep. she loved to do and um so she was clowning she was back in the 80s it was very different parties then you know she was yep. making chocolate crackles and fairy bread and taking them as the clown did the catering uh, help them clean up afterwards and yeah. they would take everything away so it was a very different environment back then and and then she from there decided to open up a party store and that's kind of how it all yeah. just started
0: did you ask him one day like mom what made you start a party company or like why did you get into like first of all you know having that profession of being a clown and then also starting a company and and, and doing all these parties like you know my dad is an engineer and i i always like used to ask him like what made you get into that you know um was it something like you had that curiosity of like knowing what made them venture into it or
1: i kind of know the the whole thing but i mean my mom saw a gap at the time yeah. and back then in the in the 80s party shops there weren't really many yeah um they, they were around but they weren't many um so she just saw an opportunity that there was a massive gap in yeah. that market um a key focus for her was actually having a venue in, in the back of the shop where kids right. could have their parties. And back then, there weren't, you know, now there's ve- all sorts of fun type mm. venues, trampoline venues and yep. rock climbing venues. Back then, there was nothing. Mm. Um, so just having a party room was actually a novel concept. Yeah. Um, and so she launched that. About two years later, McDonald's started doing party rooms, which really destroyed that side of the business. But the retail was going, so she mm. just went with where the, you know, where the sales were. So the sales were in the balloons and the decorations. So she expanded that and got rid of the venue and um, focused on selling party supplies. So it's kind of, my mum just sort of followed the business the way it sort of grew organically with what customers wanted and where the money was.
0: And it sounds like there was, like she was agile and and she was able to to pivot. Yeah. uh, Seeing McDonald's going into that same space. Okay, what can I focus on uh, to continue to grow and not be hindered by a massive company that's just you know taking me over yeah yeah and so at at what point so it, it, it's yourself and your brother who yeah. look after the business from now
1: yeah we took over um we took over in 2007 yeah um my mum at the time was actually looking to to get out of the business and sell and yeah at the same time my career was sort of growing where it was and so was my brother's yeah. so um i was working at woolworth's as a, as a business analyst and my brother actually just no it was literally one friday afternoon my, my parents had had an offer to buy the business off them from someone else yeah and um you know, earlier that day and my brother said why don't we do this you know Let, let's take it on and mm. there's a massive gap here we think we can grow it. let's go yeah. focus on the digital and, and 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 grow the digital um let's have a go and yeah pretty much we made that decision that that, that afternoon I said yeah let's do it we got all excited and uh, yes. a few months later we'd done all the legals and everything and and bought the business what
0: year was that that was 2007 2007 yeah. so digital was like still very much in the early stages we're
1: still early i mean i actually um i was the in 98 my mum got me to actually launch the website so she mm-hmm. got me together with a bunch of uni students um that were in it yeah at the time there was no web yeah area of the world then it yeah. was it and um we built a website mm. which i maintained in high school in 99 by the time we launched oh you uh, built yourself uh well or you had the, the, the it got the it guys built it but they yeah. built it in very basic right technology that yeah. was back then um and it was e-commerce and we'd launched with click and collect so we were quite we were the yeah. first party store certainly to be online and yeah obviously one of the early e-commerce players in in yeah. australia as well so look it wasn't huge volume at the time yeah. but certainly we got excited by one order a month at the time of course. um but then things started to pick up and um and obviously i was always involved in the digital and, and that was another part of the reason mm. my brother and i took over my parents at the time were you know still cautious about online even though it was their idea to mm. go online i wanted to really go hard with digital yep. marketing um and my parents were like no no we gotta keep focusing our budget on yellow pages. And I was mm. like, you we know, gotta go hard on, yep. on digital. Forget this yellow pages thing. Mm. It's old school. No one's gonna have the, the no books in five years. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're still <laughs> around, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh they provide a service. But um, yeah, my whole thing was, look, you know, we we came up with a formula for how yeah. we should be doing digital marketing. And I tried to build the case like mm. I did at Woolworths as a business analyst. So i built a case and said to my parents, Come on, let's go hard. Here's the formula. Mm. This stacks up. Um and they were just like nah just mm. just get, take it easy step um, by step so when we took over we literally just took all the budgets off and went hard off the bat and um yeah we saw triple digit growth and that was actually a problem the growth it became for us right over those first few years but for your back end t- for, for fulfillment yeah, and, and fulfillment like yeah. i mean at the time we did that the sales took off but we had no processes i mean we picked the orders mm. from the shelf of the store um we we'd drive them up to the local post office like yep. it was a it was a very clunky operation um even to the fact like our picking slip didn't have images we just knew what all the products were so we mm. could pick them where you know the when we started hiring people they couldn't pick the orders because they couldn't figure out what was what so um everything was a bit of a mess when we started to grow and that was um a re- yeah, that was certainly a
0: real challenging time mm. but things definitely grew from there. So at some point you realize that okay my front end sales and marketing is going too well now I have to get my house in order I have to get my supply chain my fulfillment my you know the the back end to be on point was it was it something you had to learn or were you like okay let me get the right people or let me get the the person who has experience to to run that part
1: um, I, I would say, you know, I mean, I was a business analyst. So it was kind of my job prior to, right. to figure out solutions to problems. And, yeah. um, so I guess, I guess I had a passion for problem solving, yeah. business problem solving, it's probably a very specific type of problem mm. solving. Um, so, you know, I built things, I built spreadsheets to solve problems. I engaged our IT guys. I'd actually give them the spec and say, this is what I want you mm. to go build. Um, so I actually came up with solutions to the problems as well. Yeah. I mean, our problems were. All across the business not just yep. it related so where possible we found spreadsheet solutions or mm. it solutions i mean capacity was an issue that's not mm. a it's not an yeah. it fix it was pretty much put in as many computers do double shifts pick day and night yeah uh, get more real estate um so the problems just kept coming as we grew it just yeah. it just kept i say problems obviously it was definitely challenges. a big problem to have but yeah
0: certainly big challenges as we grew that's amazing do you think uh Okay, so what are if you were to say the top two or three keys to success of the party people ever since you and your brother took it over, would you be able to pinpoint two or three things that you think are like okay, it was it was the digital marketing, it was like you know us shifting to a digital focus model, or it was maybe um, focus on a specific product range, or was it? Um, the customer experience or was it the, the niche or the, the fact that you guys were in a space that not a lot of people were in. Um, I'm always fascinated, fascinated by, you know, the story of from the entrepreneur or the business owner, uh, as far as what are the things that they really think were the key success to, yeah. to, their, to their success.
1: Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll probably put it down to, um, First off, marketing, having a, yep. a marketing formula, which I'll go into in a second, actually yep. having a, a proper strategy and a formula for marketing yep. where we we actually named it and I speak a lot about this at conferences, but we call it the uncapped marketing budget. Mm. It's basically marketing with no budget, but a formula. Mm. And so you just basically spend as much as you can under that formula. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably a key one. The second one would be um, complementary skill sets between me and my business partner is another yep. probably key, key factor mm. in that. You know i love dealing with spreadsheets you yeah. know i love it my brother couldn't think of anything worse um <laughs> likewise he loves managing people mm. and i couldn't think of anything worse right so, so yeah so we have these skill sets that That's are like very and yeah and yeah. and it's just like we love doing the area so our, our our roles in the business have fallen into the things we love mm. and they just complement each other so so nicely yeah. and so for that that would probably be another key factor and then the last one would probably just be people in general mm. i don't know people always talk about it but just having the right people in the right roles yep. to drive the business forward yep um so i don't know if you want to go into them or oh, what but we could talk all day all
0: about all of them dude i'm, <laughs> I'm here the whole day cheap yeah. party dude i'm here <laughs> <laughs> well we can go into the night that's that's my job title so um interesting very very interesting okay i want to dissect actually all three of them yep. um and I'm in marketing so i'd love to go over what you mentioned around digital marketing with no budget i think that's a really interesting way of looking at it and executing it um a lot of brands a lot of businesses do have budgets so perhaps not for me but for some people who hear that concept the first time they hear it, like oh okay but I totally get and understand what you mean and where you're coming from. And I think it's it's such a uh, a smart way of, of going about it. So what you're saying is, and I'll let you obviously explain in more details, uh, is we have a formula that brings us the return on investment, that brings us the the outcomes that we want. And it's just open up the tap. And if it's working, keep reinvesting.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess it's it's probably to look at it this way. I guess with, with, you know, when I went to uni, I did marketing at uni actually. Yeah, and you know, had they had that saying, you probably might remember it, where they said fifty percent of my marketing works. I just don't know which fifty percent. Yes. Right? Yeah. And with digital, you know, it's actually it's not a it's not a it's not a legitimate concept mm. because you can track everything. Yeah. Um, you can measure it and you can see where your sales are coming from. So yep. you know which what's working and what's not. And, and that's kind of where, you know, like I said, the reason we took over the business, um, I was saying to my parents, right, we know we're, we're spending, I mean, at the time, we, we, were, we were Google's first customer, believe it mm. or not. And- um, In Australia? In Australia, or? yeah, in okay. Australia, not globally, but Australia, when they, they launched, that's a whole nother story, I don't know which you have all you. Is day, that for real? For real, I'll that's, tell you that story before I go into the, okay, the reason, yeah. but when we launched on Google, we were paying one cent a click and that's unheard of today obviously that is unheard of (laughs) um but we launched on google i was actually doing a university project on ways to improve the business it was my my final year that was in 2003 Mm. and google had just was just about to launch adwords Mm. while i was doing that project and then i came across it and said oh we've got yahoo over here at the time they had a a Mm. company managing all their real estate which is called overture yeah and um and google and Google's got a marketplace where you just, you bid whatever you want, over to here wants to charge $2 a click. This is back mm-hmm. in 2003. So that, I thought they were crazy. No one yeah. paying $2 a click. But over here, I only have to pay one cent a click. And there was no, no, there was no competition. So every keyword I put up, I was paying one cent a click for off the bat. Yeah. And um, you know, so it was very easy off the bat. That All you had to do was have a keyword. That was the strategy. <laughs> uh, that, that's all it was, it was that simple. Uh, but it did get more complicated as competition started entering. Yeah. Um, then the formula started kicking, which was what we're working at is that we didn't need to be in position one. What we needed to have is a spend per click, which had a conversion rate attached to it. So we mm. need to work out what was our conversion rate? What was our per click rate? How much are we spending per click to get that conversion rate? Mm. And then what we came up with was a formula where we knew that let's, I'm just going to talk very basic here, mm. but our average sale was a hundred dollars, just to make it easy numbers as well. Yep. It, was, it was close to that though, not far off it. It was the average sale of a hundred dollars. It cost us to pick an order, all costs, all variable costs included, let's say including cost of goods and everything, eighty dollars. Mm. So we had twenty dollars left profit every time we got an order. And if we were spending ten dollars per conversion, then you left. We were banking ten dollars every time. Yeah. Um, by knowing that formula, I mean it sounds really simple, but by knowing that, and we. You know we i mean we go into a lot of detail our whole balance mm. sheet is based around this formula up here now sorry um and we were able to then scale our marketing mm. with no budget we we're just going look if we're spending 10 if we're spending 10 and getting 20 back every time i just want to do that as many times as i possibly can how can i do as many so if i'm spending one and getting two back or yep. five, whatever it was yep anytime that formula was positive Go hard, no budget, just spend whatever you want, and it was an instant return. So it wasn't like we invested in marketing and we mm. might get our return on investment in five years. You get paid like two months? No, you're getting yeah. paid on the day. I, I spend the dollar on Google today, and I got that order came in the door. So yeah. um, it really worked. It was a, it was a formula that worked for us and helped mm. us really scale that business off. You know, into. I mean, we got to a point where we had three million keywords in Google. Put it that way. So we just went all right. crazy, and it was never about being in position one. We didn't even care about the position. It was all about. The formula working what level of spend did we have to what, what level of bidding did we have to put in to get a return on investment so if it meant sitting in position 10 on a particular keyword and that was profitable that was mm. fine as long as i'd rather be in
0: position 10 and making money than position one and losing money on a particular ad so three million keywords Help me understand that because that is crazy yeah. number so we also going after a lot of the keywords that are not purchase intent like um, we like, were and
1: uh, but yeah. but still and and that's where it became interesting. Like you know, I mean, a, a, and then this formula got broken down into a lot of detail because different keywords had different conversion rates and different. So was like, like I mean, if you add, if you bid on a word like party supplies, yeah, which is the, the, the most important, mm, the hardest, the hardest keyword to rank on in our industry, yeah. party. Um. It's very hard to be profitable on that and 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 being in position one, I don't think anyone in the, f- the top three positions on that are making any money. Mm. But position four, five and six, if 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 you've got what what we have is some competitive advantage, we're able to rank in those and still be profitable. Mm. Um, and we may not get all the volume, but we're getting the volume that's profitable, and mm. that's what's important to us. And we notice we see this. I mean, I think Google took away their insights, but for a while there we were looking at, to seeing you know you could actually see who was ranking where mm. and at what percentage of the time. And we were we were typically ranking in position four, five, and six, or I think average like let's say position five for a particular keyword. But we were appearing 90% of the time. Yeah. Where our competitors, there might have been 10 companies ranking in the top three, but they mm. wouldn't be there all the time because their budgets were kicking in and, and yep. they were getting yep. you know they were spending too much money losing, you know, so you're losing mm. money so you end up not yep. just blowing it all the time. So we found that sometimes those positions further down, you might have constantly competitors coming in, paying whatever it takes to get position one, Mm. those positions or top positions, but those positions weren't profitable. So we'd sit further down the chain. But then there'd be other keywords like, let's say, for example, um, if I was to bid on glow sticks, for example, Mm. the average sale might be less. So it became a a whole new formula for that Mm. uh, particular keyword. So we got quite detailed on this formula in how we... Right, you executed so you start, it.
0: You started going granular by the products. Yeah, that's right. Products yeah. or even yeah.
1: themes, or depending on the keyword, and yeah. you classified the keywords into themes, products. Yeah, you know, that's smart. generic, and then they had particular. I mean, yeah. with Google, you can track what sales those keywords are generating. So you could see the average sale for a particular keyword. So if that keyword's generating your average sale of forty dollars, it's a different mathematical equation to the one that's generating you a hundred dollar orders. Of course.
0: Were you Were you focusing on seo like simultaneously or and I, I guess at some point it became important maybe from the start or not but um back in the day before google ads became before they were uh super expensive like back in one cent even <laughs> 10 cents like one cent that just blew my mind like, yeah, yeah um i'm 34 so i think one cent, how old was I? Maybe I was like 16 or 15 or something. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, when the cost per click started to increase, a lot of brands started to think about, you know, what are the other ways we can continue to scale? Yeah. Because like you're saying, if you're at position four, or five or six, you're not paying, um. Uh, you know, a lot of, you're not paying a very high uh, cost per click however you're still tapping into part of the part of the volume but Uh, that is not going to get you to scale if you want to go really aggressive
1: as as we i mean obviously our journey is going to be different to someone say starting up today yeah where when we started it was like i said very simple it was a matter of having a keyword then it sort of progressed to um, optimizing if you like because google got more sophisticated so you mentioned seo well seo does Impact your your ads now. So yeah, um, in the beginning it didn't. It mm. was just pretty much how much you bid. Um, I think it was cost per click times click through rate. That was yeah. the formula Google used to rank ads. Yeah, they told you it. They said this is the formula. We base it based on that. That's the only formula. Now it's yeah. much more complicated. Of course. Um, but as Google changed, we we adapted. So, mm. you know, we we did focus on things like SEO and things like yeah. that to 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 get those ads op- optimize the ads. Yeah, because um, I, I make it sound simple, like it's just about the formula. But I mean, there's a lot that goes into that formula. Mm. There's a lot of inputs, not just the bid strategy. That's mm. just one strategy, the, the, the ad text, making sure you have the, the keyword in the ad mm. text and the different insertion and all the different mm. complexities that Google has by optimizing all the different mm. elements of what Google puts into making rankings mm. happen um, or making your click through rate better or making your relevance better. Um, all those things ended up. So yeah. it becomes much more complicated today than it was yeah. when I started. But certainly, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we as well, you know, as well, we've we've started branching out into different strategies. Mm. We, you know, Cost per click strategy is not even a large part of what we do now. Mm. It's a lot more branding now. Mm. Um, but, you know, we've been able to grow to get to a point where branding can be a strategy. I certainly speak to a lot of startups all the time and I say, now focus on conversion, marketing. Mm. You know, that, that forget brand marketing. Don't think about, I'm going to put a billboard or I'm going to put something on a bus. Forget that stuff. Focus on conversion marketing. Whether it's right or wrong, the, the fact is you'll be able to control it. You can see it and you can measure it. The other stuff you can't measure. So you just, you're just shooting in the dark. Mm. Um, so, Because, I mean, I would preface all of that by saying, look, different marketing works for different brands. Some brands are better on social. Some brands work better on you know tv it depends on the business model if you b2b
0: it's a completely different ball game that's right
1: that's right so i wouldn't say it's a one-size-fits-all solution but certainly if you're a startup conversion marketing i mean if you can measure it Mm. it start small and scale it yeah um so yeah i think it just depends for different people at different points in their journey
0: and yeah uh, different strategies yeah i'm not sure how much you like to give away in terms of your strategy but um sure competitors are watching Um, (laughs) i'm sure they will (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I
1: pick up ones when my competitors are talking so why wouldn't they i mean it'd be crazy not to right of
0: course (laughs) um i was wondering how diversified in you have decided at some point or are now um in your advertising digital advertising uh strategy away from just google and in other channels including like native ads, programmatic, Facebook, social, the whole lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, we're pretty diversified. I'd say more recently we're focusing a little bit more on PR. Um uh, and I'm sure we'll go into that we'll in a bit go detail. That, so, yeah. some stage. But yes, yeah. yeah, certainly we found a lot of merit in PR because I guess we've probably underpinned it with a lot of other marketing. Mm-hmm. Um and now we can focus on building the brand. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's all a bit of an integrated marketing strategy, but yep. having different, different marketing is always yep. good. But certainly we've found lately that bang for buck, I mean, PR, you know, when it comes to PR people, are. my, my thinking is this, that people are actually watching you or reading about you because they actually want to, mm. which is super powerful when it comes to marketing. Um, if they're watching an ad, you know, a legitimate story that they're reading because they want to, it, is going to beat that 10 times to one. I mean, we screen ads yep. all the time. We don't want to look at mm. them we can yep. help it. So um, we focused on PR a lot more recently.
0: Yeah, I mean, Earn Media, an alternative name for PR, is, um, is very powerful because, and I'll just say this quickly, and we'll go back to the sequence and then we'll address PR separately. Um, the reason it's powerful is because you, as most people know, you get opinions from, or you get the story, not from the, from the business owner or the business, it's someone who you look up to. It could be, you know, uh, a news publication. It could be a magazine or someone that you tune into and, and respect uh, and trust the word. Then they publish a story and then you, boom, you're like, okay, okay, cool. I like that. Maybe I should check them out. So it's like your older brother or sister or your parent or your best friend telling you, dude, you, you have to check this product out. It's almost similar to that. 100%, where. Yeah. It's much more trustworthy record. if yeah. it's
1: if it's if it's like that.
0: Yeah, whereas digital ads, as powerful as they are, you know, you have that sort of barrier which smart advertisers know how to how to cross, but you have that barrier of, of being like the the sales guy knocking on the on the door saying, Hey, check this out, right? Yep. Um that's cool. Um the second point was the the partnership and being a yin and yang like you and your brother you um focusing on certain things and and he and him focusing on other things that kind of like where kind of like uh supplementing each other and um in a way like mutually exclusive that just came in together really really well
1: yeah look i I I saw some stuff recently that that actually made me realise why it works, mm. to your brother. And I, I've looked at the Clifton strengths. Have you heard of that? The Clifton no. strengths. No. Basically, it's a philosophy that people should play to their strengths, mm. not their weaknesses. You know, we're taught in school: oh if you're weak at that particular subject, you need more help mm. there and all that. And I won't go into all the details because it's a big philosophy and it's got yeah. it's got its pros and cons, like yeah. any like any concept. Uh, and it's got its haters and yeah. and lovers, but. Look, I'm a big fan of it, personally, and it's because what what the thinking is, is that I think of it like this as speaking, right? Because I I speak a lot lately. But I'm I'm not a fantastic speaker. I speak because Mm. I have good content to share or that people want to hear. Maybe (laughs) whether we call it good or not, it's another story. But I've got content that people want to hear, but I speak. But look, I want to be an amazing speaker, but naturally I'm not gifted at speaking, right? Mm. So I'm never going to be that amazing speaker that's gonna be TEDx on stage yeah. because I just I don't have the raw talent to multiply mm. with the fact that I've got, you know, something yep. to say. So it's a multiplier effect. So it's like raw talent times mm. I think they say raw talent times um effort. Yeah, effort basically. Yep. So if I put all the effort in the world into speaking, I'm still never gonna be that world class speaker, yep. right? Um but if you're great at something and you multiply that times effort. Mm. Well, then you can be amazing at it yep. and so it's a bit like that with the business and, and that's kind of what i learned that very recently mm. i didn't learn that in the beginning but it's kind of explains to me why it works so well with my brother we're spending a lot of time and effort on the things that we're good at and mm. we keep getting better and better at them mm-hmm. and we just yeah so i'm i'm hopeless when it comes to managing people mm-hmm. and it you know hardware it stuff and all that mm. but He's 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 got a it's like a learning curve for him. He's he's started off with it and he's getting better at it. And yep. by him focusing on that, he's excellent at that stuff. So we've actually become excellent in separate areas. But obviously, in a way, you could argue that we're hopeless in those things because we we've neglected those areas yep. of our personal development. Um, but from a business point of view, that's I think. The, the, the most efficient strategy mm. um, and it's working really well for me and my brother. So we, we have that yin and yang and we focus mm. on our strengths and we get better at our strengths um, because I think in business, the hard thing is you have to be a jack of all trades. You know, they say, well, you, it's almost like you have to be, to win in business, you have to be excellent at, at everything, which makes it so hard to be good at everything. Like how, how can you be an expert at everything? And that's where I guess a business partner comes in, mm. in that, things that i hate um yeah. or, or, or or not naturally gifted at um someone else is there to take on
0: those mm. those tasks and
1: i can focus on what i'm good at and what i love
0: doing in the business i think you have to be good enough to be able to steer the ship yeah. but not be at the top of your game in every single thing because no one is right yeah. um every ceo is 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 strong in 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 one or two or three or four but not every single area and that's why you have you know cmos you have all that stuff so you know when you scale it down that's on a like uh, a large enterprise level but when you scale it down to a startup if you are a one-man show or one-man band and you're starting out You've got to know a little bit about legal. You've got to, right? You, the you, there's no way out, you know? I mean, I took the bins
1: out when we started the <laughs> business. I was taking the bins out every day. I mean, you've got to do everything in the business when you're starting out. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. You were chief uh, <laughs> taking bins <laughs> out. Bin dude. out <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the point is, you've got to know, you know, you've got to know a bit of marketing. You've got to know a bit of sales. You've got to know a bit of product development, etc. Yeah. Um So... Uh, but i'm with you on the idea of play to your strengths
1: yeah because you've got to know what to, how to ask the right questions yeah. um of the of that area yeah i mean i i um don't manage the people but i mm. certainly need to know when to ask questions about whether we're managing them the right way yeah um and that's why i'm asking questions not telling him mm. the answers i'm just asking the right questions and usually yeah. asking the right questions actually ends up with the person figuring out the solution yeah. themselves um, quite often, he asks me questions that are always difficult, mm. and then I start thinking about it and think, "Oh shit, I hate that he's asking me this question." But <laughs> when I think about, it I think, "Should I need to fix that?" Mm. Um, so just just merely asking the right questions of each other is, yep. I guess, another key factor.
0: Questions are the answers.
1: Questions, questions, asking the right
0: questions. Yeah, questions are the answers. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the, that. I, I read that somewhere. It kind of resonated. Like when you ask the question, like the 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 act of asking the question brings the answer. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, so, just quickly on what you said around hating things and loving things, do you find strengths and weakness? Do you find that, is it more that when you love something, you become really good at it? Or the opposite, that if you're not good at something, you just hate it? Or, you know, is it just like, okay, I know I'm really good at that, so I love it. Or I love this doing X, Y, and Z. So I become really good at it.
1: I think it's both. I know yeah. that sounds like a cop out, but like <laughs> on one hand, like I think of my pre, pre, um, pre party people, yeah. uh, the party people, I was a business analyst. I loved my job mm. and I was super passionate about it. And I progressed. Mm. Um, and I think it was a spiraling effect. The more I loved it, the better I got at it, the better I got at it, the more fun I had with it. Yeah. Um, the more confident I got, and yeah. the more and it just spiraled upwards, you know what I mean, yeah, um, so I think on one hand that's it's true that just yeah. being good at something means you'll love it more, mm. uh, but on the same token, I would say yeah. when you when you run a business, you don't look at the things like I said, taking the bins out, for example, you don't look at that as something you hate at the time, mm. I mean, as you get more busy, you start thinking, well, I should delegate, but. Mm when you're when you're at the beginning you don't look at those things as things you hate so you actually probably get good at no joke i oh know this sounds yeah. ridiculous but taking the bins out you get good yeah. at it right you get yeah. good at packing the bin you get good Repetition. at playing tetris you get yeah. um you know you get you get good at good at it and you, you may not necessarily love it but you sort of start enjoying that that process yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and so i think it, it works the other way too because you you're focused on a mission and an end goal and you see the mm. the longer Game that you're playing, and you're taking the bins out because that just mm. needs to be done, and that's part of you mm. running the business. So I'd say it works both ways. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably more. A, look, I'm an optimist, so it's mm. easy for me to say all of this mm. um, because I always look on the bright side of everything. Welcome to the club. <laughs> um, so, so you know, people probably take the bins and go, "Ah, oh, i got to take the yeah. bloody hell. This yeah. is horrible." You know. So I don't know. I, I looked at all those tasks that. Maybe in the beginning, now I don't enjoy so much because I can delegate, mm. uh, but at the time I did them and they didn't bother me at the time, you
0: know? Yeah, and I think that is really what separates, like I would say this to anyone, if you wanna know if you would be a, be good at being a business owner or an entrepreneur, um, apart from all the other things that, you know, or the traits or whatever, it's the ability to be, to enjoy, and be okay and like doing everything, especially at the start, and 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 be okay with that, yeah. you know. Because um, starting out is is always going to be you doing things that you don't want to do, yeah, right. But if you find enjoyment in getting good at them as you go, that's that's a win, and then you go from there. And then you move on from them, you know. You yeah, not do them eventually. Again, you do yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So. Um, we covered that, and so we covered the first two points. Onto the third point, which was people, people, cool. So p- everyone goes, you know, to have the to have a successful business. You gotta have the you gotta have the right people, the right people and the right job, all that stuff. And you guys have been able to grow over the last um, ten years, and maybe longer and obviously part of it is people. Do you have um, a way of a philosophy or an approach to hiring um, that you think is, is the right way? Or
1: Yeah, look, I guess my brother's the uh, people person. So he's the, uh, if he was sitting here, he'd be the best person to answer this question. Yeah. Um, look, I don't know if we fully um, know why, you know, things have gone the way they have for us. I mean, my storm, interestingly, talk about this point because uh last a couple of weeks ago my store manager of my Dremoyne store was uh won the 2020 uh store manager of the year by the National Retail Association congrats Uh, so yeah Julie Julie uh Julianne Benj won uh won that award from my store so she got a bit of a shout out there um we call her Smotty now store manager of the year Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and um and you know I guess you know, she's one of the people that's certainly helped us mm. along the journey and is a, a key person. Mm. Um, but, you know, we identified uh, an, a, a stat, I can't remember the exact stats at the moment, but yep. probably about 12 months ago, 18 months ago that, you know, of our top 10 people in our organization, all of them had been with us minimum seven years or something like that. Yep. I mean, we've only been in business, we've only owned the business for about 10 years, seven yep. years now, 12 years. So um mm-hmm. that was a crazy stat to look at it like that, that we just haven't had that turnover at the top level. Mm. Um, But we do have quite a bit of turnover at the bottom level. Mm. Um, I think we worked at the average life expectancy for someone on the front level was averaging around a year. So Mm. um, I think we're doing something right in the way, I mean, we certainly hire, Julie started as a retail assistant. Everyone Mm. starts with us at the front line, Mm. uh, regardless of where they're going or what their Mm. eventual recruit, why we recruited them. They all start at the front level and, that's a deliberate strategy, and it, it seems to be working for us because I think the people that start there then have an appreciation
0: for right. Um, so you never hire managers no. or senior managers. No, we always promote from within. From within, interesting. Um, and
1: even if it sometimes it can become be difficult because you think, yeah, do I have the right person for that role? Yeah. Um, but we look at it that oh look maybe we'll recruit from someone, but they got to start as a retail assistant, and yeah. we get look we get plenty of good people. We have to turn away from roles Mm. because they come in and say, I want to come in to that manager role. And we're saying, no, we want you to start. And they're like, well, I've been a manager for years. Why would I start from the bottom? And we just think, well, it just doesn't fit our process. So we let them Mm. go. Um, But you know, you get situations where people like Julie, who started from the bottom um, and now, you know, is basically the top dog in our organization, if you want to call it, top girl. And um, you know, and she started at the bottom. And I think she, you know, I mean, she understands how the whole company works because she's yep. gone through that level. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, people who work their way and earn their way into the roles, I mm. guess, um, certainly have a different, I think, mental attitude towards mm. things than people who are gifted it from the start. Look, it's rightly or wrong, but it's just the strategy we've employed, and it seems to
0: be working yeah, for us. Yeah. I mean, I, I I tend to like that strategy more than. The other one, which is be open to bringing people from outside or inside. I think um, hiring from outside has its pros and cons, um, and it comes down to the organization, the leadership. My views are if you have – if if your strategy is about promoting from within, you're basically telling everyone that, you know, opportunities are there up for grabs and you're um, – potential is like like all these opportunities are there for you so it's up to you if you want to take them or not and it kind of like breeds that culture of um i guess motivation and hunger that you know i can do this and i can get there um in some organizations if if the one the minute people feel that oh this senior position someone is they're looking outside to bring someone from outside. It kind of... This, there's two things that can be, um, a, like, a disadvantage. One, people inside the organization being a little bit demotivated, right? And then yeah. the second one is respect. And I, I think respect is... It, I'm talking about, like, professional respect as well. Like, how much... Respect I have for the skill set and the experience that you're bringing and knowing and believing that whatever you're going to bring to the table is going to be the right thing and is going to get give us a lot of value. So um, that respect, sometimes I say that because it's not obviously not all, not all the time, especially if you're coming from maybe a competition or you have a long track record. It depends on the situation. But... Um, knowing the business inside and out by virtue of being in the business for many years you tend to know a lot more than the outsider right and and so every outsider they have this learning curve of knowing the ins and outs of how a business operates and so you may not have that level of respect as a as you know a team or you know um employees um and this is purely just my opinion right it's not backed up by science no, uh, but look it's hard. i mean it's yeah. hard what
1: you're saying as well by every organized like we say or every organization is different i mean mm. we we try to treat our organization like a family business which is mm. easy when you're small but it's much harder as you grow and you know we're yeah. about 30 employees now so it's certainly much harder now than it was mm. in the beginning when we were one st- one operation one yeah. team five people you know Yeah. yeah, yeah. um so certainly it changes and I think it's just something we've sort of found a groove if you like mm. and the recruitment process we have works and people yep. come up and um, like you were saying, you know, in terms of knowledge, you know, I guess we've, we've traded off the fact of bringing in outside ideas um, and, um, and skills that already fit the role yep. to giving people the opportunity to learn those skills with the knowledge they have of the company already you know because they may not have management experience Mm. but they but they they what they make up for that in Mm. the fact that they understand how the retail role works Mm. inside out because they've done it for two years you Mm. know um and and, you know when when it comes to these roles there are a lot of exceptions Mm. which by being in the role for so long at a lower level then moving up yeah they then understand all these intricacies and and the other intricacies of the other roles in the organization which they may not get exposed to Mm much you know they'll, they'll understand yep. we also do a lot of cross-training so mm. people tend to perform their role but be trained up in something mm. else so that when people go and leave and all that sort of stuff yeah they have that so then obviously mm. then if we're recruiting internally this person might have done four or mm. five different roles they potentially understand half the company yeah um so I, I think it works for us but yep. it, you know it just depends on your organization
0: yeah i think the advantage of bringing someone from outside is the creative output that you get um because when you Obviously, not all the time, but when you work within four walls or an organization for quite some time, um, and granted, you innovate and you change and you do things differently uh, over time, but having the outsider who doesn't have, doesn't think inside any box, right? They they see things from a different perspective. Um, can bring a creative value. I think.
1: Yeah, I think also for us, one other thing I'm just thinking now I'm talking to you is that we have a very tough work environment mm. as well. It's very fast paced, so we demand a lot from people. We have a lot of fun along the way. Don't get me wrong, but mm. it's a very fast paced environment, and yeah. you know, it's probably just like that that process we have sorts them out early. Yeah, we get that turnover, and the people that then hang on are actually the mm. right cultural fit, which is yeah. really hard to find. That mm-hmm. they fit, and then when they fit, they end up staying. You yep. know, pretty much, if they get past three years, they end up staying for ten. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, So I think we're finding a lot more of those type people mm. in the the way we manage our process. Yep. Um, but you know, I guess it's, it's it
0: works yep. for us. Awesome. All right, let's jump into my favorite topic, PR. Yeah. You are the PR machine. <laughs> you are the PR machine. You were showing me two weeks ago when we spoke how you're ranking for some keywords like just the word party right and
1: i hope when people look up this podcast they are uh, we're still ranking. We're still there, there. There. but you well, know i
0: testify that when i looked it up you were ranking number one yep. and um obviously that, that's not the main point uh, but the fact that you've been doing a you've been very successful in your pr has had its own Benefits on other marketing channels like SEO. So, yep. I, I'm I'm super curious um, about how did the whole PR capability, for the lack of a better term, grow? How did you, you know, how did it come about? What made you so good, or what made the party people so good at PR? And I, I know you you went to the Shark Tank. You've been everywhere. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I got some coaching on it um because in the first you you mentioned earlier in the in the podcast how we've been doing pr for many years we've only really been focused on it in the last five years maybe four years um and obviously we've done a lot of pr in the yeah. last four years <laughs> yeah. on steroids but prior to that you know we're probably we're in the boat of most growing startups mm. if you like that we're just like i don't give a shit about what people mm. think about me or don't, mm. I don't I don't need to win any awards to tell me that I'm good at what I do. Mm. I just want to kick ass and yep. run a great business. Yeah. Um and that's what we did for the first few years. We didn't do any PR. We just focused on growing the business and we got all that massive growth and didn't want to tell anyone about it. We didn't want our competitors to know what we were doing. We didn't want we wanted to try to fly under the radar as much as we possibly could. Um but then I got some coaching from my uncle at the time. Um and he's he's at a publishing business so he knows a lot about PR and he just gave me a bit of a lecture on I need to be the brand, and if mm. I'm a, a brand in myself, and I get out there and tell our story, and just put ourselves, put myself out there personally, um, that'll be good for business. It's mm. not detrimental and it's going to distract you. It actually be, it'll drive sales if you do it right. Mm. You know, saying go out there, talk to celebrities, go and be a celebrity yourself. Try to get your name out there as much as you can because it's good for business. Don't mm. don't just sit there and try to kick ass. A lot of people have great businesses, but they never ever end up end up going anywhere because yeah. they don't focus on the brand um and so I got this big lecture look at I've told you all that in thirty seconds, but it was like a like 30 one hour on. <laughs> one hour lecture this thing i got um and and and, and you know that and so that that then prompted me around the chief party dude thing and then I think about twelve months later, we ended up on shark Tank um which was probably
0: the biggest p r thing we've done. One of the biggest… Um, the golden question. Yeah. Were you trying to get investment or was it more for PR or was it both?
1: Look, it was… Certainly, we were hoping
0: for investment. Like, yeah. we weren't just there for the PR
1: only. Yeah. But certainly, we… Um, you know, we… We we obviously were very… I was very conscious mm. of the, the PR aspect mm. of it and yeah. I leveraged it as much as I could. So, Currently, I mean, yeah. so, you know, the episode aired six months after I did it. Uh, the press release went out pretty much when the episode finished airing yeah <laughs> we were ready to go so um you know i guess yeah, certainly we leveraged the of course the, PR the hell out mean. of that yeah and still are today mm-hmm.
0: pring the hell out of that um but did you take any feedback uh on board from what the shocks yeah you? it was really good i mean um look they were great and
1: I got to be careful what i say too much about what happens backstage but certainly sure. obviously what happens on screen is not what what it's, happens backstage yeah, it's it's, it's tv yeah um and it makes it you know for, for for anyone who watches it i think you can go watch it on youtube yeah the pitch i did um yep. they make it very dramatic yeah uh, look the sharks were good to me there was a lot of conversation in there um that, that there was advice and stuff and i certainly become better much better at pitching since then. I mean, mm. the pitch wasn't too bad, actually. It was yep. not a bad pitch for my first time pitching, but yep. um, I've certainly become much more refined at pitching mm. since then um, in, in different aspects of the business. I mean, learning to pitch there and what I've learned since then about pitching, I now apply to any mm. type of pitching, whether pitching for sales, pitching for, you know, mm. all that sort of stuff, but certainly yeah, i learn a lot. Uh, but yeah, look, we were hoping for investment, but in hindsight, what we were pitching was never gonna be invested in. Mm. Um, and that's why Janine Alice turned me down well that's why I turned Janine Alice down in the end we just couldn't meet in the middle when we were negotiating mm. uh, look I got an offer that's a great situation yep. to be in but I turned it down in the end because we we weren't going to meet at a valuation that I was comfortable with and mm. in hindsight that valuation was never going to be acceptable to an yeah. investor so um, yeah I, I would say we were, we were up for the for the invest, we were open to the investment but mm. certainly we knew that um, a a big benefit of going on there was pr and of we course. we put on a good pitch yeah i did a big display nice mm. and dropped balloons all over the sharks and stuff like that made it really tv friendly mm. um because i knew the pr
0: yeah ability of it and i wanted to leverage it as much as i could of course awesome um i guess that that kind of covers the pr piece um was there anything else that you wanted to add on how you've been able to create a, a solid pr capability
1: look i probably could talk all day about pr yeah. because it's it's not a simple yeah. system or like i mean you mentioned that i'm crazy at pr i mean i don't know the exact number but i know it's it, it edges on about 100 pieces in media we get uh over i think a, a year i think um, 100 pieces a year at least and we're not talking small stuff we're talking. Wow. Papers, smart company, retail magazines, you know, industry magazines, or um, newspapers, or yeah. TV. Um, H- how
0: many of these would you say are pushed, or how many of these would you say are earned, truly, truly earned? Like you didn't put any effort to 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 get them. It's just someone woke up one day and said, "Oh, I like these guys. I'm going to write an article about." It. And then how many would you say are you kind of had to push the train to to make it happen
1: it's probably about 50 50 i would say wow 50 50 so half the time they say hey, i want to you know, i love what you do i want to do a i can't even remember how we connected to be honest did you reach out to me i reached oh, out you did you. there we go yeah so 50 percent of the time that's what happens yeah um say so i love your story or i love what you talk about there can you come and mm. do more of that um and half the time i'll go and pitch mm. um but you know, I mean, again, I could talk about pitching all day, but mm. certainly it's a very targeted mm. thing to do. And it's 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 um, we we were talking before this, obviously, and the the listeners won't get the benefit of that yeah. conversation. But you know, I could talk hours about the, the PR strategy, mm. um, but a lot of it's about making it efficient. So mm. you know, I think one of the key points about what we were talking about pre the podcast was um, when I pitch. You know, what I'm aiming for is one pitch. conversion on that pitch um that's it five minute job not hours and hours trying to figure out a pr Mm. strategy it's like i'll see something i'll pitch at it when Mm. it's appropriate or or i pitch an appropriate story um and i mentioned to you the one about um we'll talk about that now since i think it was a very relevant one where you know i pitched to the national online retail association um an article about I'm a retailer. I was sick of getting pitched by service providers, and I said I pitched them an article about I'm a retailer. Here's how to pitch to me. Um, I mean, that was very relevant to them. I, I mm-hmm. went to them specifically because I knew that their audience was the perfect audience for this particular content, and I mm-hmm. knew their audience would love it. And so they they, they published. You know, they, they didn't even think about it. As soon as mm-hmm. I said, "This is great, let's publish this," and I, I spent five minutes writing it because I lived it. So yeah. just wrote all the things I hate about Off people pitching me. Just wrote it. Yeah. Um, And the response was huge, you know, and I mean, the, the point of that is, is that when I, it was a very specific pitch. Mm. Um, So when I pitch, I'm pitching something that I'm pretty confident they're going to want to publish. So I'm pitching it to the, a person who I know will publish it. So I won't pitch just any story to anybody. It's, Mm. it'll be specific. When I pitch to the retail industry magazines i'll pitch yeah. something very different to if i'm pitching to a podcast of course you know that i want to do on a get, jump on a podcast it'll be a very different pitch yeah um, and i it, i don't even look at it like pitching it's like i'm going to give them some value mm. and I'm, I'm i'm throwing it out there saying here check this out i know you're going to love this yeah um and, and 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 like i said i'm i'm aiming for that one pitch one conversion it's yeah. it's or one or two pitches. you know i'm not yeah. just going at there spraying a press release across 50 outlets and hoping one sticks
0: yeah so you don't cast your net a little bit wider yeah. you, you don't go and say okay this is a cool story about something we've done i'm going to reach out to five or ten publications and see who's interested generally not no okay
1: no. look I, I mean if we win it, like a good example is um winning that award yeah. i mean i'll go to i know that'll suit the retail industry publication so i'll go to them mm. um but you know beyond that there's yeah. not really a lot of other people that are that interested in it like, I mean, if I went to that to the newspaper, I'd waste the journalist's time and probably next time I pitch to him, he won't listen to me. Mm. <laughs> so yep. so when I pitch to the, I mean, we appear in, in News Corp publications, yep. you know, newspapers, online, all mm. that quite frequently. And it's because I, now I've actually generated a rapport with those journalists. Mm. So when I pitch to them, they actually listen. Mm. Um, they're not going, oh, here's another yep. press release. They, like when I pitch to them, they're like, all right, cool. Mm. Yeah, your content's always good. Let's yeah. let's see if we can squeeze that in somewhere. Yeah. You know, like I might be pitching about Halloween, for example. Mm. I think okay, Halloween's coming up. I know that they're going to want to write mm. something about Halloween. I'll go to News Corp and say, "All right, it's COVID. We've got some great ideas on how people can have COVID Halloween this year." You yep. know what I mean? Very relevant, mm. timely, and I know they're going to publish it. Yeah. And and so it's a very specific yep. pitch.
0: What do you do when someone rejects? Because I'm sure you know rejection is just the name of the game. Not yep. everyone's going to go. Yep cool what do you do when a pitch gets rejected do you um say okay well hold on a sec i I think there might be something here that you might not see or do you say okay thank you very much and you go to someone else or do you go back to the drawing board and say okay what what else can i go what else can i go back and offer to the same person that i spoke to
1: yeah look it's a combination of the last two definitely not the first one if they say no, I don't go, oh, but maybe. Yeah, I just, just think, better yeah. leave that. I don't want to damage that relationship by pushing yeah. a story. Yeah. Um, But it'll be a combination of the last two, which is I'll go pitch it to someone else for sure. Cause yeah. and, but then it. I'll also ask myself the question, geez, I thought that pitch would work. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have pitched it. Yeah. Why didn't it work? And I, usually the second time around, it will be a little bit different and mm-hmm. a little bit more refined, Um, probably yeah. to the competitor of the one that yeah. <laughs> that rejected it. Um, yeah. And... And that's you know that's that's how I'll do it pretty much. But I won't spend heaps of time. I mean, if it's Mm. and I also won't have written the story yet. I'll just have it roughly in my head, okay, what it is. Or depending on what it you know story or a podcast or whatever depends on what it is. But if it's a story, I won't have written it yet until I've had that conversation with the journalist because it often will take a different angle that you might not have expected. You might say, right, I want to do a COVID Halloween, and they'll say, oh yeah, but we want to focus it on kids only forget the adult stuff and Mm. you know so the journalist will actually help you point right so you don't fully
0: finish it obviously you don't you just have an idea and maybe a level of detail on what the angle is or the hook or whatever but you're not really sharing like here's the entire piece what do you think of it would you like to publish it
1: yeah and it kind of wraps up nicely what we've talked about at the beginning which is the chief party dude Mm. Um, that's another deliberate strategy where you know i'm i'm saying to them i'm the expert I'm mm. the chief party dude, on, when it comes to parties, I'm the expert, and here's why my comment is mm. important for you. Yep. Um. And you know, the, the media love that. They wanna publish a, a comment from the chief party dude about how yep. how to have a great Halloween, you know? So, um, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, it sounds like, it, it, it might, I don't think, I hate when people say common sense, but <laughs> it kind of makes a lot of sense, right? That, yep. that these things all sort of mm. come together and just on other things, you know, like obviously you go into my LinkedIn profile mm. and, that's filled out, and mm. all these things make a difference when it comes to PR. Yeah, in having a very holistic approach to it, because mm. you've got to understand people are going to look you up; they're going to want to mm-hmm. know why. So your personal brand matters. So snowball effect, definitely so snowball. Things, yeah. Yeah. 100% snowball. Yeah, hundred percent snowball. I mean, yeah. I reach out to journalists now because mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of journalist contacts that mm-hmm. have done stories on me in the past, and I can say, "Hey, I want you to do this story." Mm. I couldn't have done that in the beginning because I didn't know any journalists. Yeah, um, and I was cold doing it. You know, I'd be going through mm. the paper, looking up who wrote what stories that were in my area and trying Mm. to figure out is that, that's the journalist I want to hit and hope that it was the right person when I reached out to them. Where now, yeah, you're right. It's a bit more of a snowball effect and I have a profile and Mm. makes it easier as your profile builds. So it's snowball effect for sure.
0: Amazing. Cool. I I think I ran out of questions. (laughs) Um, I was wondering if, there was anything that you kind of wanted to touch on
1: no i think we've had a lot of fun i guess talking about all these
0: yeah we have different topics and covered a lot of things in areas
1: that we're obviously particularly good in i mean like you said pr is probably one of our areas we we punch well above our weight um, like yeah. we talk about we rank really well and even when it comes to you know i mean our competitors there's a lot of department stores that have party sections and things like that mm. and google and 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 even if you ask people in the street who's bigger in party, you mm. they'd be thinking the party people before they thought of big W or, yep. or something. So yep. um that's where has become a, a yep. key strategy for us. And that's something we're probably particularly strong in more recently. Yeah. Um so I think we've covered probably mm. an area where I like to talk about at the
0: moment. Yeah. Actually I got a question. Shoot. Sure. Last question. Shoot. Sure. What's the vision for the party people in the next five years in terms of expanding into other areas how do you see the growth what are you focusing on branding whatever you know if i were to say okay dean tell me how do you see the company in five years from product
1: it's a very good Uh, question it's a very difficult question with covid going on at the moment i would say because um depending on when if how things Mm. go back to normal Mm. um Will depend on how our strategy unfolds mm. and at the moment we're actually spending a fair bit of time thinking about our strategy in terms of i don't know if you call it i guess you call it contingency mm. what if the environment goes this way or mm. what is our strategy what if the environment goes that way mm. what is our strategy and having strategies depending on how the market evolves yeah um because covid could still be around for quite some time mm. and that will certainly i mean Parties were illegal when COVID first started, and certainly even now gatherings are not... Um, were like, illegal? Were illegal when, when, when COVID first hit. You couldn't have gatherings of more than 10 oh, people at just, home or whatever. Yeah. When, they first, yeah. the yeah, when yeah. they first introduced the lockdown. Yeah, when they first introduced the lockdown, yeah. So, I mean, even now there's still restrictions on gatherings. Mm. Um, and that's not good for business. Our mm. Business is not, not in yeah uh, amazing shape as a result. Of but course. certainly, um, well, yeah. if that continues, it makes it very difficult to grow in this current environment. Mm. Um, but if things start to change, then we want to be ready. So mm. it's about having the right strategy. Certainly our vision for the business is to open up multiple bricks and mortar outlets. Mm. We see a lot of value in that. Um, and also growing the digital mm. uh, footprint a lot more. Yeah. Um, there are some other projects which I can't talk about here, sure. which are yeah. sort of a bit less core business, if you like, that mm. are that are certainly aligned with the party people. Yeah. And I guess the thing we, we do when it comes to thinking about strategies, just again, thinking about... How the customer has changed over the years, and mm. what they what does the customer expect from a party store today, and we think of it like this that you know we're in the business of helping people have parties. we're not in the business of selling party supplies, yeah um, and that small distinction actually helps us think yep. about our strategy much more clearly,
0: yeah, yeah amazing well it's it's been a lot of fun talking to you, learning about your story the the story of the business. It's amazing. Thanks for having Um, me on. I I hope everyone watching or listening uh, enjoy it as much as I did because I I (laughs) quite did. Um, Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Anytime.
1: Cheers.